Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline. And I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. And so over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through his word and through his presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with Jesus and to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm truly so grateful that you are here. Welcome to Unedited. Thanks again for being here. If Unedited has been a blessing to you, would you please like, review, subscribe, and most importantly, share. I am passionate about this message and you sharing it with another person helps spread the beauty and the hope that is brought about through Bible reading and prayer. Salvation, growth in God, living from a full cup so many things that are a result of this habit in our lives. And I just ask that you would share. It would mean a lot. Today is not only unedited, it is also unscripted. Um, Off the top of my head, it's been a bit of a busy week. I have a few days of travel and crammed four days of work into one and a half days of work and some extra appointments and So I just want to share a very simple thought today about a heart in awe of his word. I'm going to read Psalm 119, 161. It says, princes have persecuted with me, persecuted me without cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. David says, my heart stands in awe of your word. Now I do want to mention, if you look up awe in the concordance, you will see that it means dread. It means fear. David is saying, princes have persecuted me, but my heart is only fearful of your word. David is talking about the fear of the Lord, but I love that phrase. And just for the purpose of today's episode, I'm going to take it just mildly out of context. I want a heart that is in awe of the word of God. I want a heart that longs for the word of God that is open to the word of God, open to conviction, open to revelation, open to God ministering to me through his word. And I truly just love that line, my heart standeth in awe of thy word. And so today, my tip for you in establishing the habit of Bible reading and prayer is to cultivate a heart that stands in awe of the word of God. Don't take it for granted. There's people around the world who do not even have the option of owning a Bible. There are language groups that don't have the option of reading the Bible in their native tongue. What a gift to be able to first of all own a Bible and secondly to be able to read it, to study it, to dig into it, to allow God to minister to us through it. What an incredible privilege that I don't want to take for granted, and I want to learn to be in awe of his word. It is the clearest revelation that we have from him for our time on earth. It is his written word. It stands forever. It has been indestructible throughout the ages. It is authoritative. 
it's the final answer. It's what we're going to be judged by. And I want to know it and I want to live it and I want to love it and I want to be in awe of it. And so again today, just really a simple reminder, a simple word of encouragement and inspiration to have a heart that stands in awe of his word. Today I'm going to share an unedited journal entry that I'm going to call an impossible promise. And so many times God literally knocks my socks off with his word. I will just be reading along on a normal day in Hebrews or a normal day in Psalms or a normal day in Luke or a normal day in this case it was um, 2 Kings and God will just literally astonish me and astound me with something. It's like it's so fresh I've never even read it before and that is so much of my desire is to help others. I'm sure that many 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 people have this practice and God does the same thing in their lives. This has just been so fresh for me and I want to help those who haven't had that experience have that experience. And so today's unedited journal entry is called An Impossible Promise. This morning, as soon as I sat down, I felt prompted to open my Bible. Sometimes that happens and it's as if God says, I want to minister to you through or show you something in my word. I opened my Bible to 2 Kings 7, which was apparently unread in my new Bible. Wow, okay, how in the world, an ordinary Saturday, ordinary me, but an extraordinary word from an extraordinary God. That chapter ministered to my soul and was absolutely alive with promise, comfort, and hope. I wish there was time to flesh it all out, but a few points. Number one. The chapter opens with an an impossible promise and closes with a reminder of what God had promised. The famine in Samaria was so severe that they were selling bird poo as food, but God said through Elisha, Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. It was an impossible promise with an impossible timeline. A Lord, a close advisor of the king, responds to this word from the Lord by saying, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? This royal official points out how ludicrous this word from Elisha is. It's humanly impossible. And Elisha tells him, You will see it with your eyes, but you will not eat of it. Number two. An impossible promise with an impossible timeline is given. And then God does something he so often does. He used unlikely people in an impossible situation to bring his word to pass. As soon as Elisha reiterates the promise, the scripture introduces four nameless men identified only by their diseased condition. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. These men were outsiders because of their diagnosis. I recently read Leviticus 13 and 14 with the steps given by God to diagnose leprosy and the effects a confirmed case would have in a person's life. Lepers were removed from family and home. They were untouchable, unclean, due to the nature of their disease. These men had endured great loss, 
robbed of familial love and community ties because of the ravaging effects of their condition. And on top of that, they were starving. These four were scraping the bottom of the barrel when it comes to life. One of them speaks up and says, why are we sitting here until we die? If we go into the city, the famine is there and we die there. If we stay here, we die also. It's hopeless either way. But there's a third option. The Syrian army is besieging the city. Let's fall into the hands of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll die. Now this is definitely the lesser of three evils. Number one, die outside the city of starvation. Number two, die inside the city of starvation. Number three, approach an enemy of brutal, an army of brutal enemies in hopes they'll have mercy on you. Desperate times call for desperate measures and these most certainly were desperate times. So they did what desperate people have to do if anything is ever going to change. They got up and they rose up in the twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. It is so easy to overlook the human emotion behind the pages of the Bible. This walk to the Syrian camp was not a cakewalk. These men knew it was quite likely a walk to death. The Syrians were not good guys, and the chances of them having compassion on and feeding four compromised men from the very city they're surrounding to destroy is quite unlikely, more so impossible. But in their desperate condition, they moved in the direction of the only faint option they had. They weigh their option, they use the word if four times, and pick the if that has any hope connected to it. If they save us alive. So four men, in an impossible circumstance, moved in the direction of a nearly impossible hope. They got up, they moved, they walked. The Bible doesn't say how far they walked or the number of steps to the Syrian camp. The Bible just reads like this. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. When they arrive at the destination, they find it deserted, completely emptied out. It goes on to explain why the Syrian coast is clear. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. God had taken the steps of four men who packed up their bandages and their fear and walked toward their only option and magnified the sound of their plotting. The sound of eight leprous feet moving up and down sounded like horses and chariots and a great army. God amplified the sound of their approach to the point they assume it's the army of the Hittites and the Egyptians come upon us. And then they run away. Smiley face. This verse always cracks me up. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses even the camp as it was and fled for their life. For nameless, diseased, impossible men become the key to the unfolding of an impossible word from God. God didn't need a lot. He just needed one or two or three or four who would say, why sit we here until we die? He needed a little quartet who refused to die without exhausting every last option. Their steps were all he needed. Number three. It was the four lepers' condition that positioned them for a miracle. Note, many type leprosy as sin. I'm not doing that here. In the Mosaic Law, it's written, And the leper in whom the plague is, 
all the days where the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled, he is unclean, he shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. These men were bonded outside the walled city by a disease that had ravaged their life. They were starving outside the city because they weren't allowed inside the city. This was most certainly a place of deep pain in their storyline, but it became the opportunity for the miraculous. Had they been in the city, it's quite unlikely they'd have concocted this plan. Their issue positioned them to be the very thing God used to bring his word to pass. The limitations they'd endured allowed them to be used. Number four, as soon as the lepers find the empty camp, they eat. And when the lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink. After they're full, they start confiscating silver and gold and garments. They enjoyed groceries purchased by the enemy. And they got more than food. They got riches and treasures. God could have brought his word to pass by opening the windows of heaven as the king's advisor had suggested. He'd rained quail and manna from the clouds before. But God used the enemy's checkbook to pay this grocery bill. God fulfilled an impossible promise with an impossible timeline at the expense of the enemy. After a long siege that threatened the lives of every person in Samaria, that very siege became the means of provision. Don't be surprised if the thing that's threatened your survival becomes the very thing God uses to sustain you and enrich you. Number five, the lepers don't keep the blessing to themselves. The Bible doesn't say if anyone besides the messenger sent by the king, the king himself and his advisor knew the word given by Elisha. It is quite unlikely that these men heard the promise of available food in the next 24 hours. But either way, they knew something this good had to be shared. They had an aha moment. This is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. Now therefore come that we may tell the king's household. Number six, God has a sense of humor. The lepers share the news. The king senses that this could be a ploy or strategy of the Syrians to draw them out of the city and then invade the city. But a servant convinces the king that it can't hurt to send surveillance out to see what's really going on. So the king sends two chariot horses to go and see. And what they see is very convincing that the Syrians are gone. They have run for their lives. And they went after them unto Jordan, and lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels which the Syrians had cast away in their haste, lol. The Syrians ran away in such terror of four lepers that they threw aside anything that would slow them down as they ran. This is absolutely hysterical to me. God is funny. Not only did he bring a seemingly impossible word to pass, but he had the enemy leave a trail of proof that they were gone. God showed up the enemy ran. His word was accomplished. Number seven, God's word came to pass. The very next day says the messengers returned and told the king and the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians. So a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. This thought has been cooking my bacon for the last 48 hours. No matter how impossible a word from God may seem, he will do it. It was impossible. It is impossible for God to lie, Hebrews 6, 18. He cannot lie. He cannot break his word. If he said it, he will perform it. 
There is no second guessing. His word spoken is already fulfilled. It will come to pass. We cannot allow what we see or what our circumstances dictate to tell us that God's promises are impossible. If he said it, he'll do it. Verse 18 again reiterates, And it came to pass, as the man of God had said, Two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow about this time in Samaria. His word will always come to pass. End of story. Number eight, one last thing. When God gives a word, we can get on board or get run over. This story closes out with a tragic ending for the man who verbally pointed out just how impossible Elisha's words were. When the people run to spoil the enemy's tents, he's placed in charge of the gate and is sadly trampled in the stampede. Verse 19 tells us that this happens to fulfill Elisha's response because of his doubt expressed. You will see it with your eyes, but you will not eat thereof. This man stated the obvious, the impossibility, and lost out on the miracle. When God gives a word, he expects us to get on board. We can get on board or we'll get left out. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for this poignant reminder that you will do what you said. Thank you that you sometimes use impossible characters to fulfill impossible promises with impossible timelines. Let me rephrase that. Thank you that you often use impossible characters to fulfill possible promises with possible timelines. Matthew 19, 26. With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And Acts 27, 25. I'm on board with your word. I believe it shall be even as it was told me. So that's just a little unedited journal entry from a recent time when God literally wowed me with his word. I mean, when I say wowed, I'm talking about blown away, like the emoji where the little hands are on the side of the face and the eyeballs are wide open and the top of the head is blue. I mean, just literally blown away and so moved and so ministered to by the word of God And so today, just a friendly reminder, slow down with the word, let it amaze you, let God speak to you through it, stand in awe of his word. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions or to download a typed or a handwritten transcript of today's entry, you can visit meganedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible. I so look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is unedited. This is for you. Happy, 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 awe-filled Friday.